Hey, welcome to Church Online. Wherever you are, if we don't know you, if we haven't met you yet, please connect, go to our website and click on the Next Steps launcher there, the yellow circle with the white feet there, and fill in the Connect card and we'll get straight back to you and hopefully book you in for a coffee. Let's have a look today at what's coming up at Kenmore Church. Christian communities take the time to pray for each other. We are making it even easier to do that with a powerful new addition to our online Next Steps launcher called Prayer Hub at Kenmore.Church. By following the simple links and prompts, you can request prayer or join us in praying for the needs that come in as part of your daily routine. You can keep your request private among our small team of intercessors or have it posted at the Prayer Hub where our regular church folk can pray for you. The general public can't see our prayer hub, you apply for access. So sign on today by following the yellow Next Steps icon on the website at kenmore.church. Alpha is preparing to run in April of this year. If you want to see others follow Jesus, contact Lani to join the Alpha team or be thinking about who you can invite. Our powerful formation courses are back after two disrupted years with a whole new vision for how you can take part. Starting with our brand new 7pm Sanctuary experience on Tuesday nights, you can then break out for your group time. We also will combine a shorter, cheaper and in-house weekend experience with a powerful Sunday evening service each quarter. For April, we are taking regos for two courses. Refresh is for those who want to go deeper in their engagement with the Holy Spirit and Reform is for those who know it's time to break through and grow in a particular area. Find out more at kenmore.church forward slash growth track or go to our events page. We are having a church after party, otherwise known as Cap Day. This will be on the 27th of March and is a great opportunity for you to invite a friend along. There will be delicious free food after church. Come and celebrate with your community. Kids and youth programs are growing just as we hoped they would. On Sundays, we have kids everywhere. Right now, we are planning some exciting ways to provide lots more space where it's needed. This will also change a few things about where you come into church, so keep an eye out. One of the improvements will be a dedicated and comfortable space for parents to take their kids when their energy and volume gets a bit too high for our services. It will have video feed, seating and lots of space. In the meantime, we are making the cafe available for the same purpose. Feel free to give the toddlers a break and grab a coffee while you tune in to the service stress-free. For more information about anything that's happening at Kenmore Church, visit our website at kenmore.church or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you enjoy the service. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. Really trusting God for a special time as we just dip into a very interesting little topic today. I'm going to talk about Caleb, a a man called Dog. Um, Now, I just want to say that when speaking about dogs in our time, 
Uh, it could seem like I'm using a very cute reference um, because we think differently about our dogs. One of my best friends uh, at the moment is my little dog, Angel. Uh, I love her to bits. She sleeps on my bed. Most of the time she eats the same food that I eat uh, because she begs. Uh, we love her in every possible good way. Uh, and, and, and I've actually got a few photos uh, of different kinds of dogs that I'd like to show you just to help us think about our view of dogs. The first one is a naughty dog. Uh, I think we've all had experiences of a dog that did something that they weren't allowed to do. Uh, a cute dog. We've got a uh, tiny puppy that's the cutest thing in the world. We've got an angry dog. But then we've got the typical scoundrel scavenger, the, the kind of dogs that sort of hangs out at the rubbish dumps. And, and when thinking about dogs in the biblical picture, we need to realize that it was never something of a household commodity. Dogs were seen as something weird. It was only uh, in the mid, uh, middle uh, mid-centuries where the Russians actually started um, bringing their dogs over as pets, where people saw dogs differently. But in biblical times, dogs were seen as something that you didn't really want to spend any time or energy, specifically money, on. Uh, so they hung around the waste dumps. So just thinking about that, if we think about Caleb, a man called Dog, we need to think about the fact that his name was uh, literally Dog. His great-grandfather's name was Dog. His grandson's name was Dog. So it's a very interesting little picture of Caleb, a guy that we know because of his connection to Joshua and the Promised Land. But just think about the fact that in three different generations, he was called Dog. I mean, no matter how we think about the term Dog, I don't think any of us would call ourselves Dog Montgomery or Dog Hegarty. I don't think Zelvin would name his son Dog Boerta. Because there's something of a connection that if we think dog, it's, it's a term that sort of reduces, it minimizes, it, it, it sort of connects people or things to something of a lesser value. Now, I want to tell the story of uh, Numbers 13 where Moses called 12 uh, spies, 12 people to go on an exploration. They had to go into the promised land and bring a report back on what they saw. I think some of us know the story because we know the song, uh, that, uh, the song where 10 spies were sent, 10 were bad, 2 were good. Um, I'm not going to try and sing that. But I'm going to pick the story up at Numbers 13, verse 26 to, to 33. Just after they came back, after they had this um, expedition of going into the Promised Land, into Canaan, trying to see the picture of what was actually happen, happening there. And in verse 26, uh, the Bible says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Now apparently the fruit was massive. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. So they actually brought evidence. But the people, verse 28, who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. 
When we saw the descendants of Anak there, now Anak was a term for giants. So these were very big people. If you had a large ice cream, you would call it an Anak ice cream because it was large. It was gigantic. So the people of Anak were the, the giants and they saw them. Verse 29 says the uh, Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the J Jordan. Caleb sort of heard the conversation and he realized that this was going south. That, that the kind of report that these ten people were bringing was actually conditioning the people to, to something very negative. So verse 30 says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I've, I've highlighted those words, we can certainly do it. But immediately the other ten interrupted and said, um, to the congregation we can't attack those people they are stronger than we are now here's something very interesting Caleb comes and he says we can they come and they refute his claim directly by saying we can't and this is a very interesting little parallel where 12 people sees the exact same picture they've got the exact same information They've got the exact same heritage. They, they've got the story of how God uh, brought them out of Egypt, of how He cared for them in the desert. Two people have a story saying, we can. And ten of them have a story that says, we can't. Now it's interesting because these ten people spread um, among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they, that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are, are of a great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Uh, Those were the giants. Goliath actually came from them. And here's a very interesting statement in verse 33. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. I think one of the, 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 the important principles that we've got to recognize is when we think about the paradigm or the lens that we use to interpret the life that we're living, the world that we're living in, the challenges that we're facing, we need to understand that we never see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Can I say that again? <laughs> we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And it's because of this, because of this picture that um, that these 10 people had about themselves versus the picture that uh, Joshua and Caleb had about them, that these 10 people came to the congregation and said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. What are they saying? They're saying that if I look at me, I'm small, I'm insignificant, I'm actually just a pest in that country. Now the story goes that uh, in, in Numbers 14, and I don't have time to read through all of that, where this whole meeting sort of gathers around and um, at one point they threatened to stone Joshua and Caleb because they brought a good report. And, and, and it's quite interesting if you, if you think about it, you can go and read the story in Numbers 14, that, that whenever people bring a good report, a prophetic report, a report that sort of speaks of what God wants to do, how often people turn against God and the leaders that actually brings that word. Um, and, and, and this is an interesting concept that we need to grapple with. 
that when we hear in seasons where it seems to go, um, where, where things seem to go tough and, and south, and where it's almost um, sort of go with the flow to just spend time on the negativity, to spend time on things that sort of uh, uh, affirms the crisis conditioning that we've been used to, especially over the last two years, that we would crucify people who comes with words of hope, words of faith, and words of encouragement. And, and I want to say um, that probably is one of the most dangerous things that you could ever do in, in your life. Because it puts your life in a specific pathway. Listen to what God says about Caleb in Numbers 12, 24. He says, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. Two things. Caleb had a different spirit. There was something different driving his motivation, driving his ambition, something different that connected his faith capacity to what God was saying, and something that sort of brought him to a place where when he followed God, it wasn't just segmented. It wasn't compartmentalized. He actually followed God with every part of his being, which, which when I read this, it challenged me. Because how difficult is it in these days to follow someone or something wholeheartedly? He says, because he had a different spirit and because he followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You know that, that idea of following um, Angel, my little dog? If I come home, um, the one thing that she does constantly... <laughs> is she follows me. If I'm in the bedroom, she's there. If I'm in my study, she's there. If I'm in the living room, she's there. If I walk to the garage to get into the car, she follows me and she sort of begs to get into the car because she wants to be with me. There's something of a dog spirit. There's something of a different spirit that says, I'm not going to focus on the negativity of being a dog. I'm going to follow the person that leads me. I'm going to be there. And this is something that, that Caleb did. If you compare Caleb and, and what made him different, it's interesting that five statements con connecting to this story um, speaks about the fact that he was different. Numbers 12, 24 says, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. In Numbers 32, verse 11 to 12, it says, Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were in the 20 years, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, sorry for the pronunciations, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed me wholeheartedly. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 35 to 36, it says, um, except Caleb, the son of Jephun, there we go again. This, uh, descendants, uh, or he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. In Joshua 14, verse 8 to 9, it says again, For they followed the Lord, for, um, they followed the Lord their God wholeheartedly. And Joshua 14, verse 14 said, So Hebron, that's Palestine. <laughs> Interesting connection. It was the, the, the mountainous area, it was the area where the giants live, has belonged to Caleb, son of whoever, the Kezanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. I, I actually reckon 
It's one of the most important things to consider in your life in this point of time. Just what does your devotion to God look like? What does it mean for you in this season, in this moment, to follow God wholeheartedly? To give everything of who you are to follow Him, to His service. To not compartmentalize, to not segment God into some area of your life, but to follow Him. So that's the one side. But on the other side, God responds to the people. And, and this really, really struck me. It says in Numbers 12, verse 26 to 29, where God came to Moses and Aaron asking the question, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. Listen to this. I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. Can I read that again? <laughs> I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. And, and the story goes on that no one aged 20 years and older actually made it out of the desert except Joshua and Caleb. Now, we've been in a very interesting season over the last two, two and a half years, from bushfires to, to COVID to floods to, I mean, petrol prices rising, economy, we've got wars going on, and um, it's, it's been a very interesting, challenging, difficult, and <laughs> amazing season. But just think about your words over the last two years. What were they revealing about you? What effect did your words have on the people around you? Thinking back, were they words of faith or were they words of fear? And the thing that struck me that I just wrote down in my own journal, what would your life look like if God said to you, I will do to you the very thing I've heard you say? See, words matter. Um, it's, it's so important. And just looking at words within the bigger biblical story, I think um, we will be surprised if we consider the actual effect of words on our lives. I've got a few examples for you. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Isaiah 57 verse 19, God comes and He says, I create the fruit of lips. Jesus comes in Matthew 12, verse 36 to 37. So it's not just Old Testament. Jesus actually affirms this principle by saying, I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, if you wonder if this is actually um, such a, 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 if this is too strong a statement, if you think about what cost some of those Israelites the opportunity to go into the promised land, it wasn't them worshipping the golden calf, although God dealt with um, that and He punished them for that. It was because people fell in the trap of unbelief and lived in a different spirit to Joshua and Caleb that God said, everyone 20 and older will not enter the promised land because of their unbelief and I will give them the fruit of their own lips. So there's something about the fact that our words have the ability to shape the lives that we that we live in. 
Listen to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 13. Paul um, continues this conversation. He said, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore we speak. I want to give you a moment just to think about some of the words that has, that has conditioned your life over the last season. Maybe words that someone spoke over you, words that have clung, that have hung on to you, words that have conditioned you, words that have reduced you or empowered you. Just think about some of the shaping words and, and then also think about your own internal conversation around who you are and what God is up to in your life and how those two things are coming together. I'm so convinced that God wants to challenge us with this principle that we believe and therefore we speak. I think we've seen in this pandemic and everything happening in the world that so many people speak based on their unbelief, based on their belief in conspiracy theories and all the things hanging out there. Their words aren't filtered with faith, it's filtered with fear. You know, you know one of the most amazing things in Caleb's life? A guy called Dog has the ambition to say to Moses, give me the hills country. And when they entered the promised land at 85 years old, Caleb comes to Joshua and he said, remember the moment when Moses promised me the hills. He said, I want it. It's mine. And as an 85 year old, he takes his group of men and they go into the hills country, the place where the, the giants live, and they clean them out. And it actually says in Joshua 14, verse 12 to 15, um, that because they cleaned it out, Joshua, or because Caleb asked for his inheritance, Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb's, whoever, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiratha Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites, the greatest reference among all the giants. Uh, that land was named after them. But then it makes this statement. Then the land had rest from war. That Caleb's words did not only shape his devotion to God, Caleb's words shaped his ambition for life. I want to say that again. Caleb's words didn't only shape his devotion towards God. Caleb's words shaped his ambition for life. And it changed him from dog to conqueror. And I think there's something to be learned in his life. To think about every time challenges arise, every time we're confronted with new things happening and and it sort of seems like the pace is just escalating. I, I read a quote yesterday saying change has changed. Because things are changing at such rapid pace. That you could either stay a dog or you can become 
a conqueror, trusting Christ that everything that is given us in Him will become true in our lifetime. And I'm not talking about material possession. I'm talking about sons and daughters of the living God actually revealing the glory of God in this season of life. Not falling into the trap of reducing themselves to fear, but living lives of faith. I want to pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that in every season and in every moment of life that you are faithful to commit yourself to the words and the promises that you've spoken through the Bible, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that these words and these promises becomes benchmarks for our lives, Lord. Benchmarks to set us up, to live the kind of lives, Lord, that you determined and destined for us to live. And thinking about just living those lives in this season, Lord, we know that so many people have been, has been challenged, Lord, just living in, in pandemics and floods and bushfires and, and economies going up and down and wars and different kinds of, of expressions of life, Lord, that we are not used to, Lord, that really challenges the scope of our comfort. But we know, Lord, that you're, you are the same. Lord, and that you have given us all things to life and godliness. Lord, and I want to pray that you in this moment will give us everything that will empower us for this life. And that we would understand, Lord, that our words reflect our perception of who we are. And I want to pray, Lord, that our words would be measured. Measured internally and measured externally. Lord, that we would not speak ourselves out of promises into fear, but that we would speak ourselves into this amazing gift of life that you have given us. I pray, Lord, that these words will become life in us. In Jesus' name, amen.